I think anything that denies someone of their humanity and their safety and their sense of self is something that makes me very upset. And I think that's also why I became an activist because I just, when something is unjust, like I'm just like, this isn't correct and we need to correct it because like today it's something that affects me, tomorrow it's something that affects you. And I think it's always important for us to help each other when we're like down. Um, because, you know, if one of us is suffering, we're all going to suffer in the long run. Explore Radio, der Podcast. Hier hörst du alles über Namibia. Hallo und willkommen zu einer neuen Episode des Explore Radio Podcast. Heute widmen wir uns einem Thema, das definitiv nicht immer einfach ist, aber unglaublich wichtig für Namibia und die Beziehung zwischen Deutschland und Namibia. Es geht um die koloniale Vergangenheit, genauer gesagt um die Dekolonisierung. Was ist das eigentlich? Was passiert gerade in Namibia? Und welche Rolle spielen Deutsche, Deutsch-NamibiaInnen und deutsche TouristInnen dabei? Vielleicht habt ihr mitbekommen, dass vor einigen Monaten in Windhoek die Statue eines Kolonialherren abgebaut wurde. So wenig man in Deutschland auch oft von Namibia mitbekommt, über dieses Ereignis haben einige Medien tatsächlich sehr ausführlich berichtet. Aber egal, ob ihr die Berichte verfolgt oder bis gerade noch nichts davon gehört habt, wir wollen uns in dieser Folge darum bemühen, die wichtigsten Punkte dieser sehr komplexen Debatte darzustellen und euch einen Einblick zu geben in die verschiedenen Aspekte, die bei der Dekolonisierung Namibias eine Rolle spielen. Wir freuen uns daher wirklich sehr, dass wir euch Hildegard Titus vorstellen dürfen. Sie ist eine namibische Aktivistin und hat sich besonders für den Abbau der besagten Statue, um die es gleich noch im Detail gehen soll, eingesetzt. Wir haben uns mit Hildegard getroffen, um mit ihr über ihren Aktivismus, Dekolonisierung und ihren Blick auf ihr Heimatland Namibia zu sprechen. Also, übergeben wir Hildegard direkt mal das Mikro, damit sie sich vorstellen und uns von ihrer Kindheit erzählen kann. Um, so my name is Hildegard Titus and I am a photojournalist, a curator, an artist and a decolonial activist. And I live in Windhoek and I'm 31 years old. I grew up a little bit of everywhere. So I was born in Ochivarongo because my mom was working at a hospital nearby. And then we moved to Windhoek until I was like five or six. And then we moved to Cuba until I was like six, seven, eight. And then I came back to Windhoek and then I moved to the States and then I went back to Windhoek and then I moved to the UK and now I'm back to Windhoek. So I've kind of had grown up a little bit of everywhere. Wow, das sind ganz schön viele Umzüge. Und wie ihr gehört habt, nicht nur national innerhalb Namibias. Nein, Hildegard hat auch in verschiedenen Ländern auf der Welt gelebt und ist dort aufgewachsen. Aber was hat sie dann schließlich dazu gebracht, nach Namibia zurückzukehren? Das wollten wir auch von ihr wissen. Um, yeah, I mean, after I finished my bachelor's, I just wanted to come back home and do photojournalism here. And also I missed it living abroad for so long. So, I mean, home is home. So it just made sense to come home and be based here again. Home is home. Also das Zuhause ist und bleibt halt das Zuhause. Und ja, das ist doch wirklich ein schöner Grund, zurück in die Heimat zu ziehen. Um diese Aussage noch ein bisschen besser zu verstehen, haben wir Hildegard gefragt, wie sie die namibische Identität beschreiben würde. I think the Namibian identity is very diverse and it's very mixed with different lots of cultures, different languages. Like I think there's as a Namibian, like you're a Namibian because you are diverse, you know what I'm saying? That like, there's no Namibian who has the same story, there's no Namibian who has the same like heritage, the same mixture, the same experiences and I think that's what makes Namibian so unique, unique is that we're so different but we're, but there's still like a Namibian culture that goes across language barriers, skin barriers, um, 
Like there's just something about living in a very dry place that unites us in a way. And um, it's always interesting, like when we're here, like you notice like a lot of differences, but anytime I go abroad and I bump into other Namibians, like it's so crazy how like all the similarities in the Namibianness just comes out. So I think part of being Namibian is just being able to get along with everyone. I mean, we are a little bit spicy and sometimes like we can like be a little bit mean. Like if something funny happens, like we'll laugh and stuff, but we'll still help you, you know what I mean? Like Namibians are, every time someone from elsewhere comes, they're like, oh, Namibians are so nice. I'm like, are we? Because I feel like we're very spicy in our responses and how we deal with people, but we're still very genuine and very sincere. And no matter what town you go to, like even if you get like funny looks or whatever, I think that people, there's still like a sense of warmth in Namibian people. Ja, und das können wir auf jeden Fall bestätigen. Trotz aller Unterschiede und auch trotz aller Konflikte vereint die Menschen in Namibia ihre Offenheit gegenüber anderen. Meistens jedenfalls. Aber darauf werden wir später noch einmal zurückkommen. Jetzt wollen wir aber erstmal Hildegard noch etwas besser kennenlernen. Was mag sie gerne? Oh, I like a lot of things. Um, no, I mean, I really love like spending time in nature and because it makes me feel like grounded and connected to myself and the universe and people around me. I really like music, I love art, I love reading books, I love traveling, I love eating. Um, I don't know, I just like experiencing people and experiencing life and I think, I don't know, I think just like life is such a short thing and it's like experiencing other people and experiencing places and things is one of the things that I enjoy about it the most and learning about myself and learning about other people. Um, Stimmt, das ist wirklich keine einfache Frage. Aber wir wollen noch mehr wissen, um euch auch die Hintergründe von unseren besonderen Gästen näher zu bringen. Und deshalb haben wir sie auch noch gefragt, was ihr überhaupt nicht gefällt. Oh, girl, that's a bigger list. Um, no, so I really, I hate, like, racism, sexism, homophobia. Like, people, I just hate people who don't, value other people's lives and don't value other people's humanity because um, I think that like there's so many people who think that some people are better than other people just because of how they look where they grow up their race their language they speak how much they earn like you know what I'm saying and I think like at the end of the day we're all born in the same way and we all die the same way. okay we're not all born in the same way but you know what I mean like we're all born and we're all gonna die like that's a guarantee for every human being and I think like there's so much going on in life that like we need to be gentler with each other and nicer with each other and people who are not gentle and people who aren't nice like I really I just don't understand why people are purposefully mean to other people I also really hate injustice I also really hate exploitation like there are lots of I think anything that denies someone of their humanity and their safety and their sense of self is something that makes me very upset and I think that's also why I became an activist because I just When something is unjust, like I'm just like, this isn't correct, and we need to correct it because, like today, it's something that affects me. Tomorrow, something that affects you, and I think it's always important for us to help each other when we're like down, um, because you know, if one of us is suffering, we're all gonna suffer in the long run. Und damit sind wir auch schon mitten im Thema der heutigen Folge angekommen. Wie gesagt, es geht um Aktivismus, Dekolonisierung und ganz konkret um eine Statue, die 57 Jahre lang das Stadtbild von Windhoek mitgeprägt hat und Ende 2022 abgebaut wurde. Zum Zeitpunkt des Interviews stand das Denkmal aber noch. Also, wen hat diese Statue eigentlich abgebildet? So apparently, his name is Bertrand Francois and apparently the statue says that he's the founder of Windhoek. 
Um, so he arrived in 1890 on the behest of the German imperial government to establish a, like a settlement or like a, a stronghold here in Vintuk. Because um, at the time, I think there was only something in Ochimpingue. And essentially, he was here to kind of convince all the local like chiefs and different groups to become German citizens and essentially give up their land, give up their autonomy, because Germany decided that they wanted Namibia um, to be the Lebensraum for the German people in Germany who didn't have enough space. And yeah, he was basically just sent here to force us to do what he wanted or what the government wanted. Technically, I think he was officially the first like officer sent, like first high-ranking one. He also was a cartographer and a geographer, so he was making maps of the area that he traveled, so that like when the next group of people would come, they'd know what's this, what's that. Um, he also established a fort in Alta Festa, like he built that um, again, which was meant to be like a way that they could protect themselves from attack from all these different people attacking them, supposedly. He also he did a lot of dodgy things, but I think the dodgiest thing he did was he kept on trying to convince Hendrik Bitboy to, um, you know, concede power and everything. And obviously, Hendrik Bitboy was like, "Sorry, my guy, like, no." So in the end, he decided to attack Hornkrantz, which was um, maybe like 90 kilometers out of Winter. And um, that's where Hendrik Witboy and the Witboys were settled. And they came at four o'clock in the morning and they just started like attacking everyone, like shooting, bayonetting people. Um, and it was mostly women and children. So what the soldiers, of, like Hendrik Witboy was, soldiers were trying to do was they were trying to distract the soldiers away from the camp. So they started running into the mountains, thinking that the soldiers would follow them and you know do a combat with them, but they didn't follow them. Instead, they just started burning women, children, like and everything, and the elderly. And after that, I think like 80 people died, and then they took the survivors as prisoners and brought them to Alta Festa and made them work for them. And um, they also, I think, they also took some of his. Hendrik Bitboy's daughters as well, and I think maybe they took them as a negotiation tool. Um, I don't know if they were ever reunited, but yeah, like he was very much like a very like aggressive person in terms of how he was trying to do it. And at the time, I think the German government was also not happy with how he did it because they're like, listen, we're civilized people, we don't attack women and children. Um, but I think that again just showed like his racism or his like lack of understanding that these are people too. Ja, dass Kurt von Franschua rassistisch war und keine besonders hohe Meinung von den EinwohnerInnen Namibias hatte, wird spätestens durch diese Erzählung deutlich. Falls ihr noch nicht so viel über die deutsche Kolonialvergangenheit in Namibia gehört habt, seid ihr vielleicht schockiert über Hildegards Schilderung des Hornkranzmassakers. Und das ist auch total verständlich. Wie gesagt, dieses Thema ist wirklich kein einfaches. Aber es ist wichtig, über die Gräueltaten der Kolonialzeit zu sprechen. Und leider ist auch das Hornkranzmassaker nur eines von vielen Beispielen der Schandtaten der Deutschen in Namibia. Naja, jetzt wisst ihr also Bescheid über diese Person, die bis vor kurzem noch durch eine Statue in Windhoek geehrt wurde. Und ihr habt eine Vorstellung davon, weshalb dieses Denkmal aus der Sicht ziemlich vieler problematisch war. Dass die Statue mittlerweile nicht mehr steht, ist Hildegards Initiative A Kurt Farewell zu verdanken. Sie nimmt uns mit zurück an die Anfänge und erzählt uns, wie es dazu kam. So I started in 2020 and we were trying to think of a catchy phrase to like say bye and we're like okay farewell and Kurt is very like 
And ironically, it wasn't a Kurt Verweil. It took three years almost to get it rid of. But essentially, I think at the time there was a lot of, it was, you know, I think it was like the middle of COVID, like in the early days, it was around June. Um, there was a lot of things happening. Like people were very frustrated at home. There were lots of protests happening around the world and people were toppling statues. And I remember like seeing this one and I'm just like, I felt like it was also time for it to go as well. And I think there was also another petition in Henty's Bay about a, like a monument they had there. And then, um, I mean, I grew up in Vintuk and I grew up seeing the statue and I never really paid attention to it, but I was living nearby the statue and a lot of my work has been decolonial over the past few years. So I was like, okay, um, why is this thing still here? And then I was like, okay, let me write down a petition. And surprisingly, other people felt the same. And then we ended up getting like, like 500 signatures, 1,000 signatures, and it kept on going. And I was like, okay, cool. And with that, I decided to like compile the research with it to kind of give the city more reason to want to get it down. Because just because I don't like something isn't enough to like, you know, take something down. But it's also to kind of create the context. And the more research I started doing and looking into archives and stuff, I realized that like it was put up just to celebrate like this, um, like kind of like whiteness taking over the city because it was a few years after the old location removals when all the black people were moved to the outskirts to Katatura and Manahida and so forth and it was really just like a symbol to be like hey this is our space now this is this is our founder and whatever even though like I mentioned earlier like he wasn't in Namibia for more than like four years himself um, he was called back actually just because of what happened at Hornkran so it's like even the government at the time wasn't impressed with him so why 60, 70 years later, do we think this is the person that we want to have a statue of and what he represents? And he represented violence and he represented um, a very dark part of Namibia's history and especially Vintuk's history. So I thought um, once it was false information, because it says he's a founder of Vintuk, he wasn't, it was Yonka Africana. And then two is also what he symbolizes and GBV and violence against women and children is a very big issue in the country. And I think it's problematic to have a statue of a man who symbolizes GBV because like I said he specifically attacked women and children so how can we have a statue of that and at the same time say we're trying to fight and combat all these things when we're monumentizing someone who represents all of that violence so yeah. Hildegard nennt hier eine Abkürzung die vielleicht nicht allen gleich bekannt ist aber in Namibia immer wieder eine große Rolle spielt GBV steht für Gender Based Violence also Gewalt die allein aufgrund des Geschlechts einer Person ausgeübt wird GBV kann sich gegen jedes Geschlecht richten, besonders häufig sind aber Frauen und Transmenschen betroffen. Nachdem sie die Petition veröffentlicht und mit der Recherche begonnen hatte, kontaktierte Hildegard andere AktivistInnen und betroffene Gruppen, um weitere UnterstützerInnen zu gewinnen. Ja, ich habe es auf change.org und dann habe ich es auf Social Media und Leute haben es mit ihren Freunden und es hat sich einfach snowballed von da. Und dann habe ich auch verschiedene Leute, die es affected by it, so other like decolonial activist groups. I also contacted Casper Eriksson who wrote the book um, The Kaiser's Holocaust and I contacted like also the Nama Genocide and also the Hero like Genocide Foundation and just kind of to get their support as well and I also try to contact the Africana family um, because like again like the credit of the person who actually did found Vintuk has been taken away and given to this person so I kind of try to have like different voices as well to kind of be like this is Though they support the movement for the statue to be removed and also to kind of create context to just be like, it's not just me and um, it is problematic to still have it there. 
Die Statue von Kurt von Franchois und alles, was sie repräsentiert, betrifft viele Menschen. Das wird sehr deutlich durch Hildegards Schilderungen. Und genauso wurde auch die Kritik am Denkmal durch viele verschiedene Aspekte beeinflusst. Aber was genau hat Hildegard dazu veranlasst, tatsächlich eine Petition zu starten? Wir haben sie gefragt, ob es einen bestimmten Moment gab, den sie als Startpunkt ihrer Initiative beschreiben würde. I can't think of the exact moment, but I just, I was just very angry. Um, and I think because of um, previously before that, I'd been doing some artwork. Um, like I said, I'm an artist as well. And I had a friend who was a white German woman, and she did a, a performance art piece here in Windhoek, just here on Independence Avenue, where she um, put on like blue overalls, which is again like usually the uniform for either someone who's working in like maintenance or cleaning or like stuff like that. And then she was sweeping like the, the, the sidewalk and then everyone kept on coming to her. They're like, are you okay? Do you need a job? They're giving her money. They're offering her jobs. They're bringing her food. And they're like, you're a white woman. You shouldn't be cleaning. Like, what are you doing? And it was just like, wow, like people assume that because you're white, you're not supposed to be a gardener or a cleaner or a nanny. Like there's certain jobs that white people don't do in this country. And a lot of that is because of, you know, the racial and like the colonial legacies of apartheid and colonization and everything. So I thought, okay, it would be interesting. Let me counter that and see what would happen if me, a black woman, puts on um, a domestic workers uniform. I also put on blue overalls. And what will happen if I start cleaning stuff? Um, so I started cleaning um, the Kurt statue and um, nothing happened except a lizard jumped out at me and I hate lizards um, and then um, and then I also went to Swakopmund and I cleaned the Marina Denkmal and again nothing happened like people no one came to be like hey what are you doing like no one offered me a job no one offered me anything um, people were even taking photos of me like some tourists were just like taking photos of me and I took photos of them because I had a friend filming and I was just like aha uh -huh. like you're filming me I'll film you and then I also went to the Vermin house in Swakop and I you know just like went with my bucket and my cloth and I started cleaning and again no one like said anything because again like because I'm a black woman it's expected that I should be cleaning and taking care of you know these colonial things and I was doing it in a very exaggerated way like if you were paying attention there was no water in my bucket I was just like wiping the same spot over and over again like there was really like if you were paying attention to me you would know that I'm clearly up to something but again no one questions that as a black woman you should be a cleaner so I think that's kind of what sparked um my interest in these colonial monuments. Um, my colleague, Laidlo Periganda, who's based in Swakop, was also um, trying to get the Marina Denkmal removed for a long time. I mean, also a few years before that, there's some activists who threw paint on it. Like, these colonial statues have been an issue in our history for a long time. I mean, I remember growing up seeing the writer Denkmal, and then I remember when it was taken down, and I was just like, oh wow, this is like a really big deal. So I think, um, and that was just an anonymous person, you know what I mean? Like even like with the one in Sokop, it's an anonymous, it's like meant to represent all the soldiers who died. But with Kurt von Francois, he was specifically a specific person. And once looking into his history and researching it, I was just like, yo guys, like how is this still okay? Um, so that's kind of, I think what really, like my own personal work in my, um, in my art in terms of like looking into the genocide and the legacies of that kind of sparked that and then with the more research I was just like mm, actually it's time and that's what essentially started the repetition. Ganz schön krass, was Hildegard da erzählt. Es ist nur ein Beispiel von vielen, aber dieses Kunstprojekt macht erschreckend sichtbar, wie sehr rassistische Stereotype und Vorurteile und bestimmte gesellschaftliche Rollenzuweisungen immer noch in Namibia verankert sind. Und all das wird eben auch durch koloniale Denkmale repräsentiert. Ihr Abbau ist also mehr als nur eine Veränderung im Stadtbild. Hildegard erklärt uns, was sie mit ihrer Petition erreichen möchte, 
besonders mit Blick auf Namibia und die Menschen, die hier leben. I think I was very strategic in terms of making a petition because I know in other countries it usually happens as people just go one day they're angry they take some ropes and they pull it down and then you know then people are like usually like people always try and dictate and how you're supposed to protest and how you're supposed to deal with things that are oppressing you but I was like okay cool let's show them a new way that to be like listen like it was still asking for the same thing but we're going to show you that like we know what we're doing in terms of like we know the history we know how it's problematic and we also kind of wanted to be like a, a public consensus as well that other people like that it was just wasn't just like me and five friends with ropes and like pulling it down because we could have done that i mean we probably would have gotten crushed by the statue because it looks very heavy but like i think it was very important to just kind of be like let's it's a collective thing and that's why i made the petition because i wanted to see other people feel the same way and then i also wanted to show like the city and other like for other movements as well that like there's a way to do it um, because we could pull it down today and then tomorrow they put it back up or we could have gotten arrested because technically it's private property and stuff like that so like okay cool let's do it the proper way whatever that means and it's also problematic that we had to do it that way um, but I think it was really just about like kind of being like look like because history has been written in a certain way and it's kind of you know, distorted the information and I wanted to be like, look, we know the information, we're going to show you the information, we're going to tell you why this needs to go and we're, like, we wanted to give them no reason for them not to take it down and that's why I thought the research part was really important and that's why it was also really important to have a petition um, versus just like dragging it in the middle of the night to kind of be like, look, like, we're better than the system of the oppression and we wanted to show them that we know our stuff, mm -hmm. essentially. Die Entscheidung, die Statue kontrolliert und durch einen demokratischen Prozess zu entfernen, hat Hildegard und ihre MitstreiterInnen aber auch vor einige Herausforderungen gestellt. Wir wollten wissen, was die größten Hindernisse waren, die die Initiative überwinden musste. Ja, a lot. First one was um, the signatures. I mean, so initially, once I got the signatures, I delivered it to the mayor's office. And then they were like, um, how do we know these people live in Ventuk? Like, can you go back and get all their, like, water bills or IDs? And I was just like, how do you expect me to run around and get a thousand people's... And also, why would, a, like, a thousand people give me, you know, access to their private information? Um, because they're like, they'd never dealt with, like, a petition on that scale, so they didn't know, like, how do we know this is real? And I'm just like, okay, but these are the, the names of the people. Like, a Google search would let you know someone lives here or whatever. So that was one of the obstacles. And then another obstacle was, like, obviously there are people who wanted the statue to stay, and particularly some of his descendants. But I also thought it was important to hear their point of view. So I reached out to him, and I was like, hey, so do you want to have a chat? Because I have this petition. He's like, yeah, sure, we can talk. And then we had a coffee, and he was telling me, like, what he knew about Uncle Francois, about his family history and everything. And, I mean, like, even though I was the person who started the petition, like, he wasn't ever, like, hostile towards me. He was just, you know, telling me, like, why it's important to him and his family and why and what he understood from it. And I tried to explain, like, okay, I understand where you're coming from on a personal scale, but, like, for the rest of the community, like, it is a symbol of, you know, violence and oppression and also just, like, conquering, you know what I mean? So it was a very interesting conversation, but it was difficult. And... I remember at the time one of the city councillors was actually also a great granddaughter of him 
and she was one of the people who didn't want it to go down and I think when she heard about the petition like apparently like I spoke to another of the relatives and apparently she broke down and she got really upset and she was crying and like I wanted to reach out to her because I understand like you know this was your great-grandfather and like there's obviously some emotional sentimental stuff there but it's like it's also like how do we reconcile that these are our parents or our grandparents but also reconcile that they also did very hurtful things to a lot of people and it's like you know like just because someone's kind to you doesn't mean that they're kind to someone else so it was very it was very emotionally taxing for me and then also getting lots of criticism from other people being like yeah you try to change history or like who do you think you are and I was just like I'm not saying we should pull it down and burn it or like make new earrings out of it you know what I'm saying like I was like we should take it down and then we should also make sure that it goes to a museum and it has a context of what's happened because when, unfortunately what happened with the right to Denkman is like they put it down and they just left it in the courtyard and nothing's happened there I mean you can barely see it now because the Alta Festa is closed so I didn't want the same thing to happen like I wanted to be like okay we're taking it down but people should know why it was taken down we should know the real history of who he was versus because on the thing it just says oh he's a founder of Vintok the end you know um, and it's also interesting because there's like four plaques and the first one is in German the one you see then on the other side is English and I think the other one's Afrikaans and it's just like it's very strategic again like they chose the German one to be in the front and then the others on the side so again it's like what are we saying about Namibia and you know our culture if this is like it, it was very much made for specific people and then even when the statue was unveiled like I looked at photos of it like it was basically all white people do you know what I mean and mm -hmm. it's just like and I think also specifically like the German community like I don't know how many like Afrikaans people came but in my research I was looking at um, like who funded for the statue to be up there and like it was all like German surnames and all German businesses and all schools churches it was interesting that it was not just like white businesses but it was also specifically German only so again it's just like it was a very you know I mean even though at the time like it was Namibia was under like South African rule and stuff like that like it was still very like it was funded privately it wasn't funded by the city and they gave it as a gift to the city but it's kind of to be like hey so we have the city because of us we founded the city because of us so it was a very it was a very like visceral thing mm -hmm. so yeah I mean and then also like trying to travel and do the research and there were times like also because like looking into this research like, the genocide is not a fun thing to research like Hornkrantz was not a fun thing I mean I also went to visit Hornkrantz because I wanted to know what happened and stuff like that and one day my friends and I went out there and it was really emotional you know like imagine you're just sleeping in your house you're taking care of your baby and then next thing you know you're hearing gunfire and it's just because someone decides that you don't deserve to live here anymore and it was also emotional talking to some of the detectives because like he had a completely warped idea of history and he was like no he was framed this isn't true whatever whatever and i'm just like but even himself he has a written book about his time in namibia um there's other accounts soldiers accounts like there's so many people who've accounted to say this is what happened and yet you don't but it was also heartbreaking for me because i don't want to tell an older man that oh your great-grandfather was like a murderer or like a genocider or whatever you know like it's not a fun conversation to have with anyone um, but it was it was very like it brought up so many emotions for me so that was I think probably the most challenging is the emotional part of doing the research and having to talk to different people who are affected by this and how like moving the statue or trying to was going to bring up these information again. Die ganze Debatte ist emotional sehr stark aufgeladen und auch wenn das so keinesfalls beabsichtigt ist, es scheint als würden einige Beteiligte den Abbau der Statue als Provokation verstehen. Oder? I think it's a provocation for those who don't um, 
who are in denial about what happened here. Do you know what I mean? Like, obviously, like I said, like no one wants anyone to feel guilty for their past, like what their past ancestors did. Like you're not your grandfather, you're not your great grandfather. But I think what we do want is people to um, recognize that the privileges they have today is based off what their grandfather did yesterday. So it's not like, I mean, there are white Namibians, white Germans who signed the petition and like there are people who understand and then the ones who don't understand are the ones who are either afraid that we're going to take away everything from them or they're afraid that, um, I don't know, that they're going to be like chased away or something but it's like, no, you're like, you grew up here, you're Namibian, like you're, it's not, it's not meant to be a provocation, it's meant to be a correcting of a wrong and when you're used to having everything, you think that you're being oppressed, but if you're not being oppressed, it's just equalizing what's happened. So I'm sure they're like, actually, I think the German Forum in Sarko, they made a comment after the statue removal and they said, no, we welcome it as well. Because I think to an extent, they recognize that like, like no one's like, ironically, none of them have come out to be like, no, keep it. You know what I'm saying? Because again, they probably have bigger things to worry about. Like maybe they think they're coming for land and stuff, but it's just like, it's it's just meant about correcting history. It's not about we're not going to turn around and start oppressing, you know, Namibian Germans or white Germans or white people or anything like that. It's about we are all Namibians and we need to equalize it. And part of all we need to be proud of all being Namibians. And part of that is like how can we be proud to be Namibians when we know people are suffering while we're comfortable in our beds? You know what I'm saying? Like it makes us all. Um, and it's bad for all of us if one of us is suffering. You know, it's better for us to all have an equal society where we're all taken care of, we're all fed, we're all happy and healthy because then, you know, one's oppression at the end of the day affects everyone else. So if someone sees it as we're trying to take something away from them, it just means that they're selfish and they don't recognize that, like, we're all connected and the happier and safer we all are, the happier we are as individuals. Trotz all dieser Hindernisse haben es Hildegard und ihre MitstreiterInnen aber geschafft. Kurz vor unserem Interview hatte sich der City Council nach einer Abstimmung für den Abbau des Denkmals ausgesprochen. Nach fast drei Jahren warten, recherchieren und diskutieren, war das eine ziemlich aufregende Nachricht. Hildegard nimmt uns im Folgenden noch einmal mit zurück in den Prozess und die damit verbundenen Gefühle. Um, well, so like, it's been a long time and every now and then I would try and check in with them because the city council changes over the years so when I put in the the petition there was a different mayor um, and then because each year there's been a new mayor because of the coalition thing but literally like at some point I'd given up hope because it's like I went to some other meetings to see if they're going to bring it up on the agenda and like it was never brought up or it was at the end of the thing like I remember the first one they're like okay we received a petition like okay cool and then I went for the next one thinking it'd be okay maybe two months three months but then two months turned into a year and then it turned into two years and now it's almost three years so at some point I was starting to lose hope and I thought I'd get lost at the bottom of the the list um but then earlier this year they the city of Vintuk said that they're going to have a workshop where they're going to look into heritage management because this petition would bring up other like other petitions as well and they need to realize how they're going to deal with this kind of stuff because in the past they only dealt with street names and like they could change that easily but like with monuments they're like okay what do we do is this heritage is this so they I was really excited because they mentioned that they're going to create a policy on how to deal with colonial monuments and 
like if they're going to take them away where are they going to take them like you know what i'm saying so that's something that they're working on which kind of gave me some hope and i was like even if they decide not to take down this specific one it does it change something because it decided to create a policy so once that happened i was really excited like i think i was a little bit like in disbelief because i woke up my friend sent me a text message like hey they're taking it down i was just like oh my gosh are you sure and then like because it wasn't written in the newspaper and the, the the caption wasn't very clear so i was like wait are they taking it down or are they not taking it down so i kept on like calling everyone like hey is this for real and they're like no it's for real and it's like oh my gosh so i called some of my friends and we went to drink champagne because like you know we were very happy um because it was a long time coming um but then also once it was official like i started reading the comments of people on the articles and a lot of people were like yay and others were like no and they're like i mean one of the other criticisms people were like yeah why are you focusing on a statue like there are people who are hungry like how's that going to change my life and i'm just like um i mean i do other activist work like i do like menstrual health advocacy like i do a lot of other things um but this was the one that i'm focusing on at the moment but it's kind of like all these things matter you know like yes um people don't have food and that's something that we work on and we are focusing on but also there's also about the cultural and the psychological reminders and psychologically having to walk past a statue every day that reminds you that you were conquered that your land was taken that your people were killed and that the reason that you are you know disenfranchised now is because this person decided that you don't deserve to live or you don't deserve to be as wealthy or as comfortable as anyone else because of the color skin or because you know so that's why it's like it's a symbol it's a symbol of dehumanizing people and that's why I thought it's really important for it to go because how do you grow up um I mean I remember going to school and like when they talk about colonization like oh no it's great you know it brought us Christianity it brought us a church it brought us medicine and I'm just like okay sure I guess but like if I had to tr trade that versus and also this thing of oh we brought medicine like we've always had indigenous medicine for different things like you know what I'm saying like there's always this idea that like only the West brought development, but we didn't develop them. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's always been a symbiotic relationship. And it's like, so many kids grow up, I mean, I grew up like that, like thinking that like, like the way that it was described in our school books is that we were running around like chasing rhinos until the white person came and made us civilized. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, that, that does something to your psyche and your sense of identity and your sense of self. And this is a symbol of that. And I was like, if we can remove that and contextualize it so people know that this is a lie, because saying he's a founder when he's not is a lie. I mean, Young Africana founded it in like, oof, like 1840, maybe 50 years before Christian Francois ever came. And then all of a sudden, now he's a founder. And also, how do we name a whole area after a person who was here for like four years? Like, imagine me coming to like Germany and be like, okay, I'm the founder now of mm -hmm. this town. It's just, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it was very much very emotional. And, but it also, I think it's also created more work for me now because now, before people weren't taking it seriously, but now that's actually happening, um, I have to like prove even more why it was a good thing versus. Ja, das ist nachvollziehbar. Mit ihrem Erfolg hat Hildegard bewiesen, dass das Thema wirklich bedeutsam ist. Und je mehr Reichweite sie mit ihrer Initiative erzielt, desto mehr muss sie sich auch mit KritikerInnen auseinandersetzen. Vordergründig geht es dabei erstmal um ein spezifisches Denkmal. Aber natürlich kann man diese Diskussion nicht losgelöst betrachten. Sie ist Teil einer weit größeren Debatte. Es geht um Dekolonisierung. Was dieser Begriff genau bedeutet, wie Dekolonisierung funktioniert und welche Rolle wir alle dabei spielen, das erfahrt ihr in der nächsten Folge des Radio Podcast. Ich kann euch auf jeden Fall schon einmal verraten, dass auch der zweite Teil unseres Gesprächs mit Hildegard wirklich hörenswert ist. Und ich freue mich darauf, wenn ihr dann wieder mit dabei seid. 
Also macht's gut bis dahin und bleibt neugierig. Bis dann, eure Jana. Explore.